class. Please be quiet. Shh. Shh. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. Welcome to the RPG Academy Network presents Film Studies. Hello and welcome to Film Studies from the RPG Academy podcast. My name, of course, is Michael, and I'm here today with some guest co-hosts to discuss the movie The Thing, specifically John Carpenter's The Thing, released in 1982, which, of course, is a remake of the 1951 The Thing from Another World, both of which are based on a short story called Who Goes There?, written by John W. Campbell, published in 1938. Our movie today was written by Bill Lancaster and directed by John Carpenter. The movie's most notable stars are Kurt Russell, Wilford Brimley, and Jed, the dog. So let's take a moment and see who is in attendance with us today. Lloyd, please say hello and kind of introduce yourself to the audience, please. Hi, my name is Lloyd. I play RPGs. I write some RPGs. And I don't really just go about the life just being a perfectly normal, boring guy. Don't mind me at all. I'm just here for the fun. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us today, sir. We're very happy to have you. All right, Tom, everybody knows you, but let's go through it anyways. Tell everybody who you are. Yeah, yeah. so I am the I'm the I'm the young, cool co-host of the RPG Academy. Yeah, no, you all know that I do the show and tell for the RPG Academy, then also our RPG Academy presents show on Twitch. I'm super excited to talk about this movie though michael with you because i know how much of a fan you are i and this was your first time ever watching it so I i'm know. super excited to talk to you all right and then rounding out our panelists for today is a friend of the show big al the lawyer al say hello to everyone tell me a little bit about yourself hi everybody i'm big al big al the lawyer uh, <laughs> i am a lawyer in texas and i love the rpg academy i love all the shows that michael does and uh, I love giving Tom a whole bunch of trash talk about the DCEU versus the MCU. And, uh, Whatever, and I don't know that I really know you, Lloyd, but I love you too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're all full of love here. All right. Well, gentlemen, uh, so quick content warning. This is a R-rated movie. Uh, and in 1982, I think it earns that for the violence and the gore. I don't remember there being that much language. But uh, I was going to put a blanket, probably, so anybody who might be watching the movie for the first time. And then for us reviewing it, we try to keep our show PG-13, family-friendly. It is okay if we, you know, there might be some points, especially in this movie, where it deserves an F-bomb, but let's try to keep it to one if we can. All right, so with that out of the way, we're going to start with you, Lloyd. We'd like to start off by giving a one or two sentence review of the movie and then a star rating out of five stars so what would you say about this movie and what is your five star rating sir based on the subject matter of today's discussion it is four out of five the unexpected sequel to that one game you ruined for your gm and he's not messing around <laughs> i love that excellent thank you so much all right uh tom what about you short review and star rating please all right so some of you know I am a massive fan of old school mysteries. My wife and I, we love BBC mysteries. So Michael's like, hey, this is a mystery movie. So I'm like, all right, I'm all in. So, but if I could boil this down to anything, it is. It's five out of five because this is Agatha Christie meets body horror. <laughs> Alrighty. And Al, your short review and writing, please. 
Oh man. Uh, so my, let me give my rating first. Uh, five out of five is my rating. And I think my short review is going to be Antarctica where everybody can hear you scream, but they don't even know if it's you. <laughs> oh, I love this. All right. And for myself, uh, I'm also giving it five stars and I'm calling it mimics the movie. This is true. So with that, uh, what is the thing? So at a remote scientific research station in the Antarctic, a U.S.-based expedition team gets an unexpected visitor from a Norwegian counterpart team as two men in a, hmm, as two men in a helicopter chase after a dog using a gun and grenades to try to kill it. <laughs> Through a mishap worthy of a Three Stooges short, the helicopter explodes, killing one of the men, and the other is shot as he appears to be trying to shoot the U.S. team. Later that night, the dog they were chasing reveals itself to be an alien life form capable of mimicking other organisms. Now, paranoia and distrust begin to fester as the team begin to turn on one another, never sure who to trust and who might be this titular the thing. Eventually, the alien creature decides it might be better to just go back to sleep in the ice and wait for other humans to arrive than to keep itself revealed and get killed. And so we enter the climax as the remaining heroes, led by McCready, try to kill it before they all freeze to death. So that is the thing. And as, as we kind of already prompted, this is a movie that I love. I watched this movie at probably at a way too early of an age. It has stayed with me a very long time. And I have often quoted that my GMing style is directly tied back to the movie and the experiences I had watching this movie. I talk about how I love using doppelgangers and, you know, trying to figure out who's who and all these weird twists. And then also maybe not the most hopeful of endings. So uh, I want to dive into it again. We're going to kind of layer our conversation about this movie through the lens of trying to recreate aspects of it through an RPG. But I just want to start kind of in the, about the movie. And I'm going to start with you, Tom, because again, you had never seen it before. Uh, yeah. What'd you think about this movie? So this is interesting. So the last, I would say, six months has been myself exploring the 70s and 80s of movies. All right. So it was. it's an era that I just have never watched a lot of movies from. So obviously Big Al got me into Alien. So all right. So I'm digging all the Alien stuff. And so the thing, some more cosmic, some more cosmic scary stuff. So I'm ready to dive in. So a few things real quick. The I there is in the 80s and the 70s, there's a lot of alcohol, drugs, and tobacco in movies that you really don't see as much like nowadays. So I just thought that was interesting. A time gone by. And then I got it. The one thing that really stuck with me that we didn't talk about as far as content warning goes, Michael, is that holy cow. Uh, violence against animals much. Um, so I myself like the I like the I like the puppy dogs. Okay, so the mm. opening scene is a dog running across this ice field and it's getting shot at by some Swedes in a helicopter, and and then the dog's getting ripped apart later. Uh, it was like it definitely made me like that was the tip of the iceberg as far as making myself cringe uh, watching this movie, but I think. As a whole, I just got swept away in it. I'm not, I hate, I really do. I don't like body horror. I'm very squeamish. I just don't, I don't, I think it has to do, uh, back of the day, uh, 
old school Tom in middle school, his mom watching like CSI and I'm like in the room, like watching the di- the, like, the autopsy scenes and it just, ugh, I just don't like the stuff. So I was apprehensive going into this, but man, this mystery in this movie, I was just, I got swept up in it. I was like, oh, who, who's the monster? And that it was so good in that regards that I wasn't able to predict it at all. Uh, maybe that's just me not, you know, being able to figure these things out. But uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this absolute excess of a movie. Excellent. All right. So uh, I'll go to you next, Lloyd. Just what did you think about this movie in like broad terms? I feel I need to put a disclaimer out for people who will be listening to this and people who know me because they will probably bring this up immediately after hearing my name involved in this movie. I'm not a horror fan. I've never really been a horror fan in role-playing games or in movies. So please bear that to heart as I continue what I'm saying. The movie is incredible. It's a great movie. It is it is slow, meticulous, and enticing, and engaging. And um, the guy with the music, uh, I think it's Ennio Macone. Is the same you, person, yeah. same person. That the, oh, he passed away July. Actually, um, God bless his soul. Uh, same person of the music for all the spaghetti western Clint Eastwood movies, and it shows oh. by the way the music emphasizes the scenes. You have a lot of moments where people are just not talking. They're just doing things. They're just mind your business, trying to work, and that idea of monotony while everyone is still on edge because they're all like, well, I'm trying to get things done, but also at any point, homeboy over there is going to rip open his face and eat me. I'm kind of scared. It's still prevalent throughout the movie. The thing itself, when it does show itself, it's always grotesque, over the top, but it always shows itself to kill. And if it shows up because it's like, I'm bored, what up? It's there to take you out. So the music is like a precursor to the horror that you're about to go to. And that makes it a fantastic film. And a fantastic and as someone who likes slow, build-up, tension-filledness where there's nothing happening. That the that like a lot you get a lot of Korean films that run by this method. So it's really cool to see that work on a like an American production. Also, it is one of those movies where I love every single cast member and I don't know everyone's name, so I gave everyone nicknames. It was the easiest way to understand who everyone is. And uh, But all the way through, I was still like, no, I care about all these people. Are they going to make it? Do they matter? Okay, fine. Keith David isn't the main character for once, but it's fine. I'll take it. But I still care about everyone else. And that's what I really enjoyed about the movie. It made me give a damn. Very cool. And I'm going to go to, to Al, but I just want to jump in quickly because one of the things I found very interesting about this movie on this recent watch is that basically McCready is sort of the quote unquote hero of the movie. He's the one that we probably should be rooting for. And his introduction is destroying a piece of co- community or communal equipment because he's upset at losing. So he's drinking alcohol, playing chess in the computer. The computer beats him. And then he just calls the computer, I think, a bitch, and throws, like, alcohol. So he destroyed... They're on. They're in the Antarctic. They're probably not going to see anybody for six months to a year, and he just broke one of the only... Like, we're not on his side immediately. I just think that's an interesting choice, because usually it's the, the hero gets a cat out of a tree, so we instantly love them. That We're instantly like, this guy's a jerk. But maybe a jerk is exactly what this movie needed. Uh, so with that, we'll go to you, Al. What did you think about this movie? 
All right, so The Thing is one of those movies that I've seen many, many times. I could not tell you the first time I saw it. Um, I would have been either in high school or junior high for sure. And it's a movie that really holds up very well. And that's really why it's probably not fair necessarily to give it five out of five for that reason. But it's kind of the reason I did it because I'm watching it uh, again for the first time in probably a decade because it's been a while. And it's like Tom said, you don't know who's, who's, who's the, who's the, uh, who's the monster and who's not. You can't follow it. Um, it gives you enough to make you think it could be anyone, which it could be. Um, and then it, then it kind of just surprises you when it wants to surprise you. Um, the, you know, the, the piece of, um, the question that's always, I think, asked about this movie is, is it Childs or is it McGrady? Uh, I was going to ask that at the end. I was going to have everybody go around and vote. So, because that's a kind of a, a, a lingering question, is the creature dead, and and or is either of the two remaining characters that are still alive, the thing? So, Tom, do you think either or both McCready and Childs are the thing, or do you think they're both human and the thing is destroyed? Okay, I, I kind of shared this in our our little group chat. All right, they are both the thing because we all know it passes from like body fluids and at the end of this movie it's so fitting McCready takes a big old swig out of a handle of whiskey and then he just hands the bottle over to Childs and so it's they're just passing back and forth this bottle of whiskey I mean so if one of them's the thing they're both the thing at this point all right what about you Lord what do you think uh, this is going to require a good 10 minute discussion so I hope you have your okay. YouTube videos ready <laughs> yep okay yes and no Yes, they are both the thing, or they are neither the thing. It's either one or the other. The factoid in there that I will put down is that, bear with me, McCready is our center point that we watch all the way through. Every single scene, every single scene we watch him. And the final scene we get for him is when he's recording the final tape to say, yeah, um, if I don't make it, everything's fine. That's the last time we see everything from McCready's point of view. That is it. That is when McCready dies or doesn't die. Because from that moment on, we no longer see everything from McCready's point of view. He goes off to the shack with um, Knowles, comes back. We don't see what happens there. They give a story. A whole bunch of things happens in between. Some explosion happening. A whole, and we get multiple perspectives from that moment on. My theory, according to my, in my D&D head, in my roleplay head, is that McCready has been turned, but is a weaker, less stronger version of the thing. And him and the thing are on separate sides. The thing wants to break out of here. Also wants to like stay here, kill everyone, build a spaceship and leave. McCready wants to escape. The thing goes out of its way to break down every single type of communication and they're using every other method they can to blow up the place so McCready can't escape. McCready does everything he can in his power to dissuade everyone else because he can't turn them. All he can do, he's not strong enough to do that. All he can do is poison them, make them infected and leave them to be. That's how Cardigan guy got eaten because that came from McCready. All of that side. At the end of it, when Keith David and McCready are sitting down together, Keith David is the other version of the thing and McCready is the weaker version, but he passes the drink over to him and that changes him into McCready's version and that's when they're both the thing. That is the general theory that I have in my head. The actual <laughs> I... theory I want... Oh, okay, okay. The actual theory I believe is that they're both not the thing and they stay there dying together with what's called never been able to know if the other one is confessed or not, because that is the best ending you can get in this kind of situation where they're both human. They both sit back, look at each other and die. 
because they can't prove the other one isn't and they would rather die than give it up. That's so awesome. it's interesting too because I was reading that I guess there was all sorts of I mean, you all know this. There's all sorts of behind the scenes drama when this movie was made. I guess one of the big one of the big sticking points was that the studio wanted a clear cut ending, and there was they actually filmed a scene where a helicopter comes down and picks McCready up, and John Carpenter was just like, "No, nope. get get out of here with that. I don't want any of that." So I love I, I think it. this ending is the reason this movie works is because of that ending. So I'll give. I'm sorry, I interrupted you out, but I wanted to do that. So so what were you going to say? What, who do you think if either is well, first and foremost, I think you're all correct and you're all wrong all at the same time, right? But I think I think Lloyd has it right though, and and so does Tom. And it, it's either both, it's either all or nothing. They're either both the thing or neither one of them are. And I don't think that you can really definitively say one way or the other. Uh, but what I want, and and I think Michael, you're right. That's what makes this movie. You know, this movie is good anyway, but that ending makes it perfect because that ending is this ending that says, you know what, guys, you want some resolution. Too bad. Too bad. Also, you know, just um, just a heads up. That ending is why I give it four out of five because I don't like cliffhangers. Carry on. it's it's funny too talking about this whole idea of an open ended ending. I also just watched Blade Runner, so I'm like I'm catching up on everything. All right, so the same thing happened with that movie where this it came out in 1982 just like the thing in the studio uh ridley scott had this really like very you didn't know what kind of gloom ending to it and the studio said no we want we want them going off like in a on like a in the sunset and so the studio did that so i just think it's interesting along the same time how much i feel like audiences have changed and evolved over years as our media has changed and people want to be able to think about these movies and that's why i think i really like the thing now it, it like i feel like it's age i don't know if one of you guys have said this it's aged so well like yeah there's all sorts of stuff that is like from the 80s and a matter of its time but the whole general premise of this mystery and open-ended it works really well to, at watching today yeah uh, so for me, my answer to that question is it doesn't matter because either they're both the thing or they're neither one the thing or even one of them's the thing because they're going to die. That's that's established that they're all going to freeze to death. There's, there's nowhere for them to go and get shelter. There's no one coming to save them. So if they are both human, they're both going to die. If either one of them is human, the human's going to die. If neither of them are human, there's no one left to bother them. They're just going to sink into hibernation, which is their plan. And then eventually, maybe years later, six months later, someone will come to check on this survey team or whatever. I don't even think we ever find out what they're doing there. And then it will then be able to try again to get off of this area. Because I don't think the thing wants to escape the planet. It wants to get away from this ice area to a population where it can consume and spread and you know repopulate whatever so the, the thing wins because i do not think for a second that it died in the explosion i think we've it's too crafty i believe the thing is still alive so it doesn't matter which one of those two are humans because the thing has won and in this timeline of this movie it has taken over the entire world and everyone else is dead you know 20 years from now or whatever and it's really impossible for the thing to have lost because even when they're doing the autopsy, you know, it's 
there's cellular activity, right? I mean, it's it's not dead, even though it's even dead. When it's dead. It's even when it's dead, it's not dead. Exactly. So you can't. So I will say this. Uh, one of my best friends in high school uh, also was really obsessive about the thing. And he had, I guess there were actually some official comics that came after this, like in 84, 85. <laughs> there were. And, uh, and so he had those. He had those comics. And I believe in the comics... Neither one of them are the thing. I think they're both human in the comics, but I could be wrong. Now, well, Lloyd, tell me, tell me what you're Let me tell, tell you about the comics. There are three sets of comics that came with it. The first one happens whereby they rescue McCready and Keith David from the area and they put them on a submarine and have a submarine adventure. The thing gets there, kills half of them. It's really, it's really dumb and stupid. Then they move them from there to, to like South America where they both go over there and have yet another fantastic idea. That one has a bit better plot line because then they do the fire test, but they cheat around it. And that one has Keith David infected so that makes it non-canon in my eyes instantly because Keith David is the best and that has a plot and then the final one is that it happens on like a remote like a town on an ocean what's going on like like Rhode Island town area a bit but that one is like a love story and nobody cares about the love story and those are your three comics Um, most people do not consider the comics canon but that doesn't matter because no one can say it's not canon right so since you said something I was not expecting Keith David to be in this movie. And I, like, all of a sudden, so this is, I I just know Keith David from, like, later stuff, all right? So the, I'm watching, I'm like, why do I, why do I recognize that person? And then all of a sudden, Keith David spoke. I was like, that's Keith David. And I just, I was so excited that he was like, they used him the entire movie, and he was right there with McCready at the end. That was, uh, yeah, that was, a, was that was a highlight for me. I will admit, for about three-fourths of the movie, I'm like, holy shit, I didn't know Wesley Snipes was in this movie. He's not. <laughs> T.K. Carter is. But I would have sworn that that was early 80s Wesley Snipes. Um, for those of you who can't watch it, I just facepalmed. Uh, just, you're welcome. <laughs> Carry on, please. <laughs> so, with that out of the way, uh, let's talk about this movie through the lens of an RPG. Because I think, whether we all love it or not, this is a good movie. It's, it's something you should probably have seen or go back and watch. But when we talk about trying to translate this type of a story, so this who it is, who is it, who done it, mystery, isolation, paranoia, distrust, and we start thinking about how would we do this in an RPG, I think it's safe to say that this would work better as a one-shot than a ongoing campaign because basically it only works if a whole bunch of people die. And that's not going to fly on a campaign unless it's part of a story that you're telling that involves characters, you know, players having characters that die, or maybe like two of the main characters go to this place, everyone else plays NPCs, and it's like a one-off type of a thing. Uh, but I guess I'll open it up to the floor. Does anyone think this would work, not even better, but do you think this could work in part of a campaign, which would continue on after or is this basically a one shot or not situation? Tom, what do you think? So I, I think you could go a, a few different ways with it. I don't. I wouldn't want to run this as a re really long campaign just because I feel like I get I get tired of stuff so quickly. But uh, I would definitely run this as a one shot because I feel like I can get the the most energy out of it and really scare the players and get them to feel the dr feel the dread and i don't know if i could nail that every time so me personally i would love to see this as uh a one shot so that's that's just me though 
All right, Lloyd, what about you? Once again, I'd like to profess that I don't like horror games, so please better than mine for what I'm about to say. You could 100% run this as a campaign <laughs> from the perspective of the thing. Ooh, okay. Tell me more. Yeah, I'm, I'm all here. Now, I'm, I don't know what someone was planning on talking about this earlier, but you all know there was a prequel to this movie, right? 2011, right? Yes. And I have not watched it, but I heard about it, yes. And you also know that the movie itself takes place, the, start, the first scene of the Thing movie takes place with a spaceship crashing, right? Nah. That, that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's how it starts. It starts but, with like, but it was like a million years, a million ago, years ago or something. So, yeah. what you have there is what would be the start of a campaign or a game which is about a creature coming to a planet, popularizing it, and trying to move things up outward. A game like... Um, there's, a game, there's a game out there called Legacy Life Among the Ruins, which is about watching things move over time and centuries and things going up. And that's what you would do for something like this. It would not be a game about just, oh, you arrive, you eat people, you move on. It would be, you arrive, you need to, we need to repopulate the earth with things like you so you can go fight that war. And that's the game's what the game's really about. It's about taking the steps more step by step by step. Call it a god game, if you will, of you gaining power, gaining information, infecting the right people to move up and along the scale to do cool things and go forward. That's the way I can see the thing working as a campaign. From the player's perspective, I would normally call I think it's a one-shot. It's definitely a three-shot. Because you yeah. could easily do a, oh, we're playing these characters today, and if they die tomorrow, we'll play these characters, and they'll continue from the story onwards. And there's another subject I want to bring up, but I don't know what it's coming up later on. Actually, I feel like I should bring it up now. Sure, yeah. My, 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 my statement, whereby it's the sequel game you don't, you didn't, you think messed out, mostly comes because I watched both The Thing and the prequel movie, The Thing. Why did not change the title? What, what is with you? Hollywood, why do you like <laughs> so, this? So much confusion. They're like, uh, is this a remake? I had no idea. I'm Avengers like, Assemble? I'm... Avengers? What is this? Okay. There are players who played the prequel and they sucked. They ruined it for everyone. The GM was sitting there and they were like, oh, we'll do this. And the GM's like, he doesn't, know what he, doesn't know what he's doing. He's like, uh, and I guess the thing attacks you. It's fine, I guess, whatever. And they're like, okay, cool. Well, you know, I'll get in the car. Then I'll check your teeth. Oh, I'll do the thing. I'll go to, oh, we'll, we'll go into the ship. We'll have a fight. It's like, if you watch the first movie and you take it like a campaign, like a, like a role-playing game, it plays like role-players just bumbling through the floor and having a laugh like a comedy game. Because that's what the thing is. It's a comedy game. The sequel, aka the prequel, aka the first movie, is clearly the players from that game playing the game again, not realizing the GM is using the same plot, but now the GM has spent four years reading up on Call of Cthulhu techniques and is like, I am ready for you. I am not messing around. He has plans. He is deciphering. He is careful. He's moving the thing around. The thing is smarter. Everything about it plays through and it feels like the players are like, what do we do? The GM got really good. I'm kind of scared. And because like a lot of times, McCready acts very genre savvy. Like he's like, well, I'll do the right thing at the right time to move on. You know, he would do that as a hero. But at no point does McCready like break down and like become like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Except for the one scene 
that is the tape. He probably did that to get back his like fate points or something, like a refresh scene or something. I don't know. <laughs> and that's like the only time he's not genre savvy. They're all genre savvy, and they get more and more genre savvy as each episode, as each like act goes along. So it feels to me like this is a comedy already. It's already a one shot, a comedy one shot, and they are trying their best to survive. That's why I'm like, that's that, that's the game in a nutshell. It's all point a little ball and ready to go. I have talked too much. I'm sorry. I'll stop. No, no, no. I like to think too that in your scenario here that the character who was playing Dr. Blair had to miss, an ep- miss a session. <laughs> so like, okay, just everyone thinks I'm it. So throw me into the shed for like a day and I'll be back next week and then I'll pick back up. And he's like, oh, sorry, my, my, my wife called. Like I'm having a baby. I can't yeah. make it. Oh, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. So it, cool. uh, so, yeah, he's only got half there. All right. So also the same question to you. So one shot campaign, what do you think? I think it depends uh, greatly on what uh, game system you're using. I think if you were to take the thing and translate it into the alien RPG gaming system, you could run a campaign. It would only be one portion of that campaign. Essentially, it would be one uh, incident where your colonial marines or your um, colonists or, or your scientists or whomever run into this um, being and uh, this alien creature and they have to, uh, you know, figure out how to get away, how to survive it and move on. And, you know, you get your XP and you go on. You couldn't, you couldn't make that particular uh, conflict last for a campaign, but I think you could make that conflict part of a campaign depending on what you are going to run it with. I mean, generally speaking, I'm with everybody else though. I would run it as a one shot or a three shot. And frankly, I wouldn't use D&D. I would use Dread. I would use Tin Candles. I would use the Alien RPG. I would use those systems as opposed to your 5e systems and some of the other stuff. All right. So that's the next question I'll get to. But just to wrap that part up for me, I can see that you could use this as a campaign, but I think it would lose its power. I think this game, this movie absolutely deserves to be a, a short one, two shot where and I even think one shot specifically because I think everyone needs to come to the table knowing my character is going to die, but I just want to die in the most badass way possible. You know, I'm not going to just do anything necessarily dumb. Like I will go in the closet by myself, but just know that no matter what you do, something bad's going to happen and then lean into it so that rather than being upset when your character dies, you absolutely just like, that's, that's what you were living for is to get your death scene. I just think that would be fantastic. So Al, you already kind of already started, but let's just kind of reiterate it. So the next question is, what game systems do you think would be a good fit for this? So you mentioned Dread, um, the Alien RPG, and what was the other called? Cthulhu, is that what you said? No, I said Tin Candles. Um, Tin Candles, yeah. okay. The total, so is there, uh, total fatalism of Tin Candles. It, going back to your question or your concept of I'm going into this game knowing that I'm going to die and I want to die in the most badass way ever. I mean, that goes directly into Tin Candles more than anything else because you all know you're going to die. You know that it's not going to end well. You're just trying to figure out how to make your death mean something. Um, personally, I think it would work better as a dread game so that you at least have the hope aspect of maybe there's some way that I can get around it or I can get through it. But I think, um, I think those two are the best uh, systems that I would use personally. Okay. What about you, Lloyd? So if you're, you're going to play this, what game system... 
do you think would best um, suit uh, it? Um, this one's again going to take a while. I apologize. Um, I hope you're not going no, that's what we're Go here for, it. brother. You're, you're entertaining me, so okay. I, I want to hear <laughs> I more. That. You, you, you amuse me. You <laughs> give, us, give us as much void You as may continue. Okay, let's go. Now, the easiest question to go up is you go, well, I'm just running in dread, right? And you're dead. But it doesn't work necessarily for dread. Because as cool as Dread is, Dread is one of those games where you go in, you pull the blocks out, there's still a chance you're like, oh, again, again, the tension's on there. The thing is a game about being, if you're playing the game as a horror game, it is a slow, meticulous, taking your time, getting to the horror, trying to get to the point, and people keep dying. If I was running the game as a horror game, I would, I would, Dread is good, so is everything else, but I would use the final girl. The final girl is a role-playing game where you play, you all make characters, and you play you play characters in a like a, a, a slasher thriller. And there's a card drawing mechanic where at the end of every scene, a character dies. So there could be four of you. You will make all the characters from the area. You pick one to play in each scene. You would play it out. You would use the card mechanic at the end of the scene. One of you is turned. They don't have to reveal it then. They can reveal it later to make it more dramatic, but every scene, someone has turned, someone has turned, until finally, there's one person left, and they are the final girl, or they are McCready, or they are Keith David, in my head, my, my head can rewrite. That's what you would, I would use it for, if I was running this as a horror game. Bear with me. <laughs> when we start the show up, if you watch the, if you watch the movie, but you replace that, doo-doo, that heartbeat tune by Enyo, God bless his soul, with like generic comedy music style, like bop bop, oh yeah, that you started that way. You started like McCready's saying that he's like playing chess, he pours into this, like he's like cheating, swear word, and he starts going and he's not throwing grenades, like what's going on? And he drops a grenade, he's like oh no, I dropped the grenade, boom, ah, hilarity. Characters act like they're in a comedy movie. There's a guy. There's a guy walking around with a freaking belt with bullets in it and a pistol. And I'm like, <laughs> why? Why are you holding a pistol? They have a flamethrower at the base. Why do they have a flamethrower? I they, thought I was. What? What's going on? It's a scientific they, research base. And then McCready's just like at one point, he's just like, "Go get the flamethrower." And I'm just like, <laughs> "What?" They have thermite. I'm like, okay, I guess they're digging. They make dynamite bandoliers. <laughs> Oh, okay, I guess, fine. The game I would use to run it as a comedy is called Dies Laughing by Nerdburger. Uh, you're going to cut so much of my question. Uh, no, no, we actually, we know Nerdburger. We know show. Die Laughing. I love that game. That is the game I would use. That is that is the perfect game to run the thing. Because you start off, you all keep going, you're losing little bits of health as you're going along, and when you die, you get to join a producer side, aka you get to become the thing. It's already written into the system. All you have to do is just play the comedy section of it because it's a comedy game. Everyone's a comedy character. That's what I would use to run that. All righty. Tom. So follow that up. So, okay, yeah. I also have two answers here. Okay, because I want to run this two different ways, similar to Lloyd. The first game that really came to my mind is... Uh, well, before I say that, I really do enjoy running horror games. I don't like Call of Cthulhu or big crunchy games like that. I like games where I can really try to ev- 
evoke a certain emotion from my players. And I have a great group of players, and they all really get into it, too, because you need to have that buy-in for a scary game. So I would absolutely run this in a system called Cthulhu Dark, all right? What it is, is the whole, it's a very rules-like Cthulhu system, but the whole game starts out in normalcy. And then as the game goes on, players start to lose control. And then when they lose control, they snap. And they basically now have to somehow start to kill the players or go after them. And it just works perfectly with when the player finally snaps, they are now the thing. And so there's this growing sense of dread as like, am I the thing? Because as you start to get closer to your snap, is it going to happen? And I can see this running really well with that system because you need, it's got this built-in dread mechanic. You slowly start seeing yourself becoming the thing. But what I really want to run this game in is Fiasco, right? Because it is, at the end of the day, this is an absolute ridiculous movie. And one of the great things about Fiasco is that it's all about poor impulse control. And I, like I already said, these people are drinking and doing drugs and like killing everything. And I would love to see this because one of the other aspects of the fiasco is that things don't turn out like you want them to. Things continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and snowball until you're McCready in like some sort of weird storage mine throwing sticks of dynamite at monsters. Like it doesn't it like it, it doesn't make any sense. So I honestly I think we would have more fun running this as some sort of crazy hijinks game. And then also one more bonus one I want to throw out there is also I want to do this as a small time cozy mystery. So if I could run this as Brindlewood Brindlewood Bay, like I would love it. Just run it straight up like an Agatha Christie story. So uh for me, it's funny you mentioned fiasco because actually that was one of the ones I was going to mention as well, except I would add an additional mechanic that at the beginning of every scene, everyone at the table flips a coin and it's a 50-50 of whether or not they are now the thing, but they keep that secret until the end of the scene. So just basically every time there's a new scene, there's a chance half the table has become the thing. Uh, if, if not that, there would, there would be some other random mechanics so that people can become the thing, but I think fiasco would work. I love Dread. I'm on the record. Dread is one of my all-time favorite games, specifically for cons. Uh, my Scooby-Doo Dread game is one of the my favorite things I've ever ran. I love running it. I absolutely could crush a thing Dread game. But self-serving, I will also say Action 12 Cinema, coming to a Kickstarter near you, would be fantastic for this particular oh, game. Oh, okay, yeah. Because you set five or six different locations, you create five or six NPCs, and then you jump in. And basically, the only difference is that, that that game's hopeful. It's easy to kind of come out ahead. We'd have to change that for this game because I want people to die. But uh, it's very fiasco in how you would create the, the scenario. So I think that would work as well. Game's not even out yet, Michael, and you're already selling. So well, this always, may not come out till be, October. always be <laughs> selling. Like. Always be. That's correct. Um, so I, I guess I will go around the table again. Is there any aspects of this game that you think would be particularly difficult oh. to capture? Uh, the essence of four role-playing games. Sorry, One more Tom. thing, though. I do want to throw this out there. It's not an official... It's not a real game, but I was just in my mind, I was thinking about a hack of Everyone is John for this game. But instead of trying to be John, the players are trying to bid to not be John because whoever's John is the thing. So whoever winds up at the end uh, being John is actually the thing and they lose the game and all the other players win. But yeah, that was just another... Boop. 
aside. But Michael, your other question, things that may not work well as an RPG, I want to talk about things that would work well as an RPG and is specifically sure. the scene with the blood. All right. When they're all around trying to figure out who it is and McCready's coming up with this like completely unscientific way to like test if he's like what we're gonna do is we're gonna heat up some metal and we're gonna every we're gonna touch each other's blood and if it's the thing it's gonna want to attack and escape and I'm, I'm like I, I mean i'm buying it i'm like okay yeah this thing's gonna work but i'm just i would could just imagine that playing out at the table and all of my players would just i would just sit back that's a scene in an rpg where you just get to sit back as a, a gm and just let your players go and i know that they would do that and so there's a lot of scenes like that where people are talking, and I think that would work really good at a role-playing game. Because this, all the people in the, in the movie are trying to figure out what's going on. And so from a meta standpoint, all of your players sitting around the table, they would be trying to figure out what's going on too. And hopefully they'd be doing that in character. So, so completely off topic, but uh, I can see a variant of the werewolf board card game. The thing, except instead of voting people out, you turn them into werewolves basically like tap on the shoulder you're now the thing as well so the thing grows anyway um so i guess i'll go to you lloyd so I, you can dealer's choice talk about a particular element that you think would be difficult to translate or something that you think would be fun to translate or, or easy or interesting all right so if there's a point that i think the movie will not work going from movie from movie to game it's actually the ending I think everything about the movie you can you can kind of sit down in a very clear and concise way. But good luck trying to tell your players. Well, you don't know which one of you is the thing. Ha ha! Like uh, no, it does. It's on my character sheet. It's right there. It's, it says thing. Uh, excuse me, um, uh, Mr. Carpenter. It says thing there. Uh, where's my helicopter? Can I have my helicopter, please? Yeah, you're just not gonna work out. You cannot. You cannot. You can. There is mechanics specifically for. People not knowing what their roles are and being like, oh, I don't know if I picked the wrong card or not. But this is a game and a game you should give people the information they need to play the character they have to their best ability. You cannot do a hidden agenda role game where no one knows who's like you can do it in between, but not at the end. You have to give an ending. You give me a cliffhanger ending like that in my game and I will walk off. The, I'll walk out of that table and I will leave because I'm like, I, it's this thing on my character sheet. Why are you doing this to me? That's the problem. Like, can everything else, everything else you can do that? I don't think you can. Endings okay. are always so hard. Yeah, they're really role playing games. And this, I, I completely agree with you. Because oh, if you ever watch me do where my fingers been, <sighs> my endings are always like, and the end. Oh, it's so, it's so hard. All right. So, what about you, Al? Anything in particular that you think would be difficult to translate, or you think would be fun and interesting or easy? Um, all right, so I'll go with uh, something that I think will be difficult. But before I do, I want to address the flamethrowers. Tom, this was the 80s. There were flamethrowers everywhere. <laughs> Trust okay. me. I mean, grades, my grade school had a flamethrower. <laughs> I'm uh, learning so much from you all. Such you a go. comedy it, movie. Guys, get the flamethrower. Why do you have a flamethrower? Don't off. <laughs> it's just there. Don't worry about it. Uh, and then to address your testing, uh, I would suggest just for fun, go ahead and watch that prequel because I think that the mechanism for testing in the prequel, which is not really testing, is more inventive than what you okay. get in this actual one. 
I'm going to have to go back and watch it. You are. You are. But but keep in mind that Lloyd's correct. It also plays off like people don't know what the F they're doing the entire time. The thing um, acts out of character. They act out of character. Like, it's way, way more like, it's way more like people are like, what is happening? I don't, okay, I guess. Compared so to more, how genre savvy everyone is in the thing. Okay, so more like an RPG would actually go at a table. <laughs> yeah. Probably, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but in terms of what I don't know would work that well, um, I think, uh, first of all, Lloyd's correct. The ending is not something that most of your players are going to buy into. But the other thing that I think I would have difficulty with is McCready's shack. Um, I don't know how you really do that with your um, table right there and everybody playing, because it's kind of like, I'm going to see, I'm going to, I'm going to single out one of you but I can't, but I'm going to single out you anyway. And we're going to go over here and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then when we come back, you're going to know something nobody else is. And it's just going to be such a, such a pump in the brakes in terms of, you know, the flow and everything else. I don't know that that would work in in a real game. I will say that I, I grew up in a time playing where people did that all the time. They would be like, you three come with me. And we'll go over here and we'll go role play for half an hour while you three knuckleheads just sit here. And then one of them would come back and go, I'm out now. I don't know what the other two are doing. And and I hate that. And I I almost refuse to do that. But this is the one type of game where I might actually do that. I would say, you two come with me and then role play a separate scene. And then halfway through, go, okay, now you leave. You go back to the table. I'm going to hold you back for another 10 minutes. We're not going to do anything, but we're just going to wait 10 minutes before we sit back down because I want everyone to distrust each other. But I agree. I don't think it works. This is the one type of game where I might still try. You got, Tom's about you to got to have your star player, okay? <laughs> so every table has one. All right. <laughs> so I, if you guys have watched, if you, if anyone who's watched our Ghost of Saltmarsh stream or listened to it on the podcast feed, everybody knows that Jake is my favorite. All right. And Troy and Alex will totally, they will, they, they totally know it. So, uh, and I think we, we've got a, we've got a great group dynamic and they know that the way myself and Jake vibe off each other, we give them so, Troy and Alex so much more stuff to do, and that they we all know each other, and it's that communication and really knowing your players and what they want. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it could work, but you, yeah, you, you're right though, Al. It's gotta you gotta be very careful whenever you start giving another player extra stuff and kind of leaving everybody else out though. So it'd be tricky. And then it gets even worse if you don't try to do it. Like if you, if you try to have that moment without actually having something going on with, you know, I'm not going to call you two out, but in my head and on my paper, I'm going to say this. And then later I've got to figure out some way to make it work in the actual flow. Like, I don't see how you could possibly do that. And, and so I just think that's the one thing that's a little bit difficult about it. All right, Michael. Uh, so, so for me, the thing that I would love most about trying to recreate is when they go and investigate the previous incident sites, the other camp. Because those are the types of things I love in my RPGs where I set up a bit of a mystery and the players are like, well, let's go, you know, let's go to that cabin. And then I got some clues laying around. There's the axe in the door. There's this. And this one's pretty straightforward because there's like a giant spaceship and a big hole in the earth. But, you know, when they're like trying to recreate what's happening and then they find the body and it looks like he may have killed himself. Uh, you know, the wounds, at least to me, it appears as if he had committed suicide, maybe because he oh, thought he was the blood icicles. 
the blood icicles, the axe in the wall, the the burnt bodies, the the body horror mannequin thing they bring back. That's the type of stuff I love as a DM is just like planting these seeds and then letting the players interact with them. And then that, how it relates back to their current situation, making it, even though they have more information, it makes the situation less known. It's like, okay, what does this mean? It means everything's bad. And I just absolutely love that type of scene in a story where you get to go back to something's happened before and then reevaluate what it means for you now. I just, I think that would be a, a blast to try to work that out if that happened like that in a game. All right, so with that, we'll kind of go into the to the closing here. Uh, one last time around the table, is there anything about this movie that you want to talk about that we haven't yet or any other aspects about like role-playing games and connecting? It's kind of like final call for anything that we haven't touched on that we want to. Al, I'm going to start with you this time and I'm not going to interrupt you. You tell me when you're done. Until then, I will not say a word. All right. Um, so the only thing I actually got. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the only thing that uh, that I wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about yet is McCready's hat. <laughs> it's so goofy. It's it's such a great hat. But you know what's interesting is I was watching it, and I've never. I'm late to the RPG game, so I've never watched the thing thinking about whether or not it would be something that you could translate to an RPG. <laughs> But what occurred to me is a lot of times, you know, you have this thing where you're like, all right, you're going to have to, you get a personal item. It can be anything, you know, it, and then they, they, somebody picks a personal item and then you never use it. Like you never, and never bring it into the game at all. And I think that McCready's hat is the perfect personal <laughs> item. And like, you know, it just, it, it makes me think, you know what? I need to make sure that I bring in people's personal items every once in a while or at least encourage players to bring in their own personal items because everybody could have mcgrady's cap i mean it's just it's just what's a such a wonderful little bitty thing that you can just takes nothing to get it in there and then it would just kind of add so much flavor to the game that you're playing my personal item is a flamethrower <laughs> all right lloyd Final thoughts. Um, I'll go mix up. Uh, first up, let's not forget the other personal item that is very important to the character. Um, Roller skates? Uh, no, windows, glasses. Mr. Sunglasses at night. I mean, like, I repeat again, <laughs> this is a comedy movie. Sunglasses at night, guy in cardigan, six shooter guy on the corner. And also, this is going to sound weird, strange. I have a head cut in my head that, um, oh, what's the name of the character? Uh, McCready may possibly be in a relationship with a character in the show. I feel the character that the character that finds his shirts, I can't remember the name of the character, it really annoys me. Fuchs. It's Fuchs. Fuchs, that's the guy, yes. Fuchs. I feel Fuchs was so close to McCready. Every scene with McCready was always there. McCready has his own shack. Fuchs recognizes McCready's clothes. I'm just saying it's a little cold out there. Maybe this is the start of our first LGBT or LGBT horror hero. I'm just saying it's it's kind it was kind of there. I kind of thought about it. He was up. He didn't take anybody's crap. He was ready to do what needs to be done. It was it was it's I, I am I'm I'm just saying. It's a possibility. That's all I'm putting Lloyd's out. Here with the, Lloyd's here with the thing ships. He's shipping people in <laughs> shipping it. I, I love it. <laughs> awesome. All right, Tom. Okay. So one of, the, one of my favorite things to do in a role-playing game is to have this 
as a GM to be able to be have these big, gratuitous, descriptive scenes. And that is what this movie is. I'm just thinking about like the guy, the def, def, duh, the defibrillator. I can't even talk. The, the you know the shocking thing that people put on people. <laughs> defibrillator. He puts it when he puts it on the guy, and the chest opens up and bites his hands off. That was that at that point I like visib- I like shuddered so hard and those are great as a this is so fun as a game master to be able to just like describe these crazy things and so uh, that was uh that was a lot of fun but there's one other thing I want to talk about because Lloyd mentioned it early on and that is the music Ennio Marconi I love his stuff so much so like the first thing that comes up during the opening credits crawl, is Ennio Marconi. And I was like, this is amazing. How did I not know this? But I think the reason that I have never heard of this before, he's not really known for this movie a whole lot. Because although it's great, and like you said, like the musical cues are just on point, there is John Carpenter is also a composer. And his work comes through on this so much. Like, it's just like that classic 80s, I, and I don't know if his work and Ennio Marconi's work vibe really well. And there was these points in the show, in the movie, where I was like, I was hearing like Marconi's real quiet and strangeness. And then all of a sudden there would be like this like weird synth noise that would just come through. And I was like, ah, oh, there's Carpenter telling Marconi what to do. And it was just, so it was just, it's interesting going back. If any of like music nerds go watch it, you'll you'll catch it. Like, oh, that's Marconi. Oh, that's Carpenter telling him what to do. Like, <laughs> So anyway, yeah, no, that, that's all I had. All right. So for me, the, the key thing I would want to take away and maybe uh, to give to anyone listening, particularly if you're maybe you're newer at running games, that the thing is a terrifying, truly terrifying organism that makes really dumb decisions. <laughs> and the reason it makes dumb decisions is because it creates dramatic moments. If the thing was just a little bit smarter, it would have killed everyone there and no one would have known. They all would have been turned the end. But the GM made the creature do some silly things so that it would be revealed, so that it would create drama. That's the only reason why it ever reveals itself, because it reveals itself a lot of times in really stupid ways and dumb ways and ways that are definitely going to... Like, apparently once it has taken over a form or, or, or modified or matched, you should say, a form, it can replicate it perfectly. But the process of doing that is lo- lengthy, like the whole dog kennel scene. Like if it had just like chilled out for the night, but no, it decides to, to, to like do this weird thing where it starts like, I don't know, it's like a spindly, like a water wheel toy oh, out there. It's so, like, well, it's so gross thinking about it. It's, it is. It's terrifyingly, it's gross. But the only reason it did that is so that everyone would show up and go, Hol, holy crap, we got an alien here. So all it had to do was just be smarter and it would have won easily. But the DM's like, no, I want the players to move forward. So I'm going to let them see something that I, as the creature, wouldn't actually let them. Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to like make bad choices as your big, bad, evil person so that the characters can see the plot developing. Because if you actually play it smart, you might just outplay all your characters and then you win and they all die and no one has any fun. So lean into the drama and the drama might say, we need a reveal here, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense for the plan to be a reveal here. And then there's also in horror, there's a term can't be too many mouths. 
this movie really leans into that because sometimes the mouths have mouths in this whenever they do the body horror thing and it's like okay we need more teeth okay the teeth have teeth that's great so whenever in doubt you want to try to freak someone out just describe something with too many mouths and that'll get you at least halfway there all right gentlemen thank you so very much for hanging out with me tonight and doing this i've had a blast i love watching the movie again tom i'm so glad that you got to see the movie for the first time so we're going to wrap up uh basically just this is one last chance for you to tell everybody who you are. You can list any social media links. If you have any projects you want to plug, now is the time. Al, I'll start with you. All right. I'm Big Al the Lawyer, Alan Nicholas. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Al the Lawyer. Thank you, sir. And Lloyd. Um, my name is um, Lloyd. Uh, you find me on Drugged Dwarf. Uh, two things to plug. Um, Dissident Whispers 2 is coming out soon. Watch for that. And uh, Rivers of London is coming out too. Watch for that too. I'm in that. Please, God, please buy it. I need the money. The RPG, I mean, that's not, yeah, you know what I mean. Excellent. And Tom. All right. As always, you can follow me at Bezcar Tom on Twitter. Yes, Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter. You can catch me on the RPG Academy's Twitch, uh, running some ghosts of Salt Marsh. And then also, you know, just on our regular podcast feed, doing interviews and whatnot. Uh, and of course, as for myself, my name is Michael. You can find pretty much everything I do at the RPG Academy, all the various podcasts that we do. I'm also now running a Twitch campaign, the 13th Age Game, every other Tuesday called Shadow Spawns or Shadow Spawns. We haven't figured out which one yet. Uh, I'm also doing Detention Live on alternating Wednesdays from Tom's Ghost of Saltmarsh, which is sort of a loose format talk show uh, on detention, which is a lot of fun. Today, I started back playing some video games during the day, which I'm going to continue. But the big thing for me, which again, I have no idea when this is going to come out uh, action 12 cinema it is my first rpg i've been playing around with it for a couple years now i'm hiring a project manager we are taking it to kickstarter at some point this year you will be able to support me and that uh that game so please consider backing that kickstarter unless it's already passed and successfully funded then just thanks uh so until then you can find us at the rpg academy so thanks and remember tom you almost forgot if you're, if you're fun you're doing it right you're doing it right I did almost forget. So thanks and good night. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. 
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.